The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans Podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome to another edition of the St Albans Podcast Film Guide, uh, this time round with the one and only, the inimitable... Uh, I said that last week, actually, about Max, and he didn't know what that meant. But you're you're say, an acclaimed I, local author, so you I know can't even the word. So I just no. nod along and thank you very much for that accolade. You but, know, <laughs> but it is Howard Linsky. Howard is here. He's back once again. Hello, hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And uh, yeah, Howard, not only a highly acclaimed local author as well, but uh, one of his books, The Drop, you know, was was an early early hit for him. And Tom Hardy made a film called The Drop that was a big hit back in whenever that he was did. a few I'd, years I'd, back. I'd love to pretend it was based on my book, but you didn't. You didn't have claim film out there you could have left the drop, you could you have know. left that bit out oh, and it would damn. have been factual this is why i'm not getting anywhere no I'm just really bad at pr and marketing aren't <sighs> I, I, I tom hardy in a similarly titled film no no it's identically titled <laughs> identically titled yeah, you're yeah. right you you wrote uh, the you wrote yeah. the drop back in what 20 2011 it was 2000, published so right yeah, and yeah. and the film the drop came out a couple of years later it did, with tom hardy it did. that's I, all you need to say i can't tell you how many people congratulated me on the movie including the local press there you in go Newcastle. all of this go, is, unfortunately all of this is true yeah. I need to see, whoever's doing your publicity they need a kick it's me unfortunately well, that's the problem yeah, yeah I, I, I kick. I'll kick myself I afterwards. stand by my comment anyway you're absolutely right we are very fortunate that as well as being uh, a very good um, author it, it genuinely is a friend of mine I told you you scared the, the poop out of her with, uh, with yes, your most recent yes, book yes that was lovely yeah. I do apologise for that but I was also no, you secretly don't. happy yeah. that she was so terrified by one of my books she actually is a little bit miffed that you didn't put that you recently updated your Facebook banner thing and you put quotes um, that people made about that oh, book. that was Penguin did that. Uh, so, well, so. she wanted that quote on there. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd go for that. I'll yeah, have a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she didn't say poop, listener, if you're Peng, wondering. Penguin are a little conservative about these things. Well, you never know. Maybe they they need to chill out a bit if they're ever going to make do. it in this world. Yeah, exactly. If they yeah. want to be big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about films. We look Indeed. at us. We look at Howard's choice of the best films to watch on t- free to air TV. In his opinion, uh, for the week ahead, he'll pick out a choice uh, selection for each day or thereabouts. We'll also look at a film that Howard has deemed too good to be forgotten. Uh, before that, we'll be looking at new releases on the streaming services. But starting off with new releases in the cinema, there's just one we're going to talk about this week. And that is... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Say that again. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. Can I have that effect for the rest of the podcast? Every word I say sounds yeah. ominous. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't get dull, would it? I don't know, not at all. Um, not for me, at least. Um, I think this is the, the Marvel effect. Nobody wants to bring a movie out at the same time as a big Marvel movie, so... Mm. Doctor Strange is back in the aforementioned Multiverse of Madness and it's set a few months after the events of Spider-Man No Way Home uh, and it features Doctor Stephen Strange um, ably played by Benedict Cumberbatch he's got old and new mystical allies he travels into the multiverse to face a mysterious new adversary I don't even know why I'm labouring on the plot because you know with Marvel plot is incidental it's all about the characters the pyrotechnics the fun the the dialogue. The razzmatazz. Rather like Bond, we just need the plot as a bit of an excuse. It's like, pay attention, Bond. There's someone trying to destroy the world. Yeah. I'm on it. I'm on it. Leave it to me, you know. Uh, this is kind of like that. So this multiverse phrase, I've heard of in a few movies lately, and it's uh, a damn good excuse to explore different alternative realities. Yeah, and, and, and also <clears throat> being able to bring in characters from different franchises with, with yes. little explanation because, because oh, they're just in a different universe and, and so therefore we so can bring them in now. Possible. Yeah, anything yeah. goes. Then, and and they certainly the last Spider-Man film uh, very much played on this and yeah. um, Benedict Cumberbatch was in that. 
and, and in he fact was. he was the he was pretty much the cause of the 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 multiverse yes. effect in that movie in order to allow one guy to stay anonymous he almost destroyed the universe so he didn't mm. seem to learn from that no and off he goes again um, <clears throat> yeah now i do wonder if the audience is starting to get a little bit of kind of like marvel fatigue i do wonder too because there's, a lot th- of it, there's this is yeah. the 20 something movie yeah. maybe it must be nearly 30 movies now that they've knocked out exactly. that are all part of this you, th- you when you look at an other big franchises the james bond films in in 60 years have knocked out 25 movies yeah. marvel <clears throat> in a period of about 15 or so years have knocked out yes as and, many and not only that because they've got their own streaming service now they have spin-off tv series involving yeah. loki and wonder yeah. and various other characters so there must be a little bit of whether it's fatigue or whether it's just not not a big deal anymore that, that some dude is at the cinema and it does concern me a little bit that, that that these may i mean i don't lose sleep over this but but whether or not oh, that's good. these are accessible to people who have not watched all the other movies beforehand uh, yeah. or like me might have seen all of them but can't remember half of them yep yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, you, you suddenly feel like, oh, well, hang on a minute, you know which what? movies do I have to watch before I can watch this one? I've seen quite a lot of these because, uh, you know, my daughter's now heading for 16, but when she was a bit younger, I used to go and watch these films with her. So I thought I, thought I knew most of them. Hmm. And I saw some of them <clears throat> on DVD, you know, when they'd been out for a few years, and I finally worked out who Iron Man was and who, you know, Black Widow was and all that kind of thing. But I, I was reading the build-up to this one, and it said it starts with Doctor Strange at the wedding, of a woman that he, um, I think it's Rachel McAdams playing her, that he was kind of in love with. And I don't remember that at all. So I only, so, I just saw Rachel McAdams' name there, and I have the vaguest of recollections that I think in the first Doctor Strange movie, where it kind of shows how he became Doctor Strange. Yeah, I remember that one. I think he was, wasn't he like a, a very sort of prominent surgeon? Yes. And I think his I, life was all happy, his and I'm guessing maybe he was, damaged or he was, uh, yeah, he had a fiance or something, or, right? And maybe that was her. And then, yes, it was his hands. Yes, I don't remember that at all. But I guess he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, too many movies, too many. Well, so, yeah, this, too many. this is it. And yeah. and I almost think that now they should tell you which ones you need to watch to be able to understand this one. You know, and and like let let you know, you know, oh, because there's so many you don't need to watch. All and I of guess them. they want you to go and watch the <clears throat> earlier ones either on their streaming service or on the old-fashioned way on DVD yeah. or whatever it might be. But it's like 25 oh, yeah. of them, so, or, or however many there are. It's probably not. I've probably got the number wrong. It is going to be pretty hard to come up with something original. Obviously, I've not seen the movie. Yeah. It's just out now. Too early to actually see it, seeing the trailer. The trailer looks quite impressive, mm-hmm. but it also looks like very, very like every other Marvel movie where there's chaos and buildings collapsing mm. and, you know, people almost being destroyed and fighting. Mm. And, and to be fair, we've, we've not been that positive so far, but none of that is based on what the movie's like because we haven't seen it. And well, they're always entertaining. It's just like how wildly entertaining they're going to be. And when you look at all the, all the ingredients of this, you, the cast, yep. Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, yep. Elizabeth Olsen, Chiwetel Ejiofor, yep. Benedict Wong, R- Rachel McAdams, directed by Sam Raimi, no oh, yes. less. Yes, exactly. Returning his, to superhero movies. He knows his zombies, yeah. So, oh. uh, yeah. Well, because he, he did um, the Spider-Man films, didn't he? The original yes. Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy. So, he knows his way around a superhero film yes it looks slick it looks really well produced they've chucked money at it they've got good actors they are. Yeah. one of the things they do really well is they, they pay lots of money to get very good actors in all the key rules and the sporting rules they provide them with witty lines that make the t- I'm sure it'll be good yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine I don't feel desperately in need to go and see it but no. I think if I sat through it I'd enjoy it 
That's probably how I'd file it through. And I would imagine if you've not seen the last Spider-Man movie, it would probably not make a whole lot of sense because I, I'm pr- it, given the fact that the description mentions this is set a couple of months afterwards, yeah. and that character played quite a pivotal role in the last Spider-Man movie. That's true. And and yeah. the end of that movie was left hanging slightly. I guess this is going to wrap that up. What we need is a character at the beginning of this movie that says, "As you know, Doctor Strange, when well, you did this, you created a shift in the space-time continuum, or even or whatever, like they used to say in Doctor Who, or even." <laughs> Previously on Marvel movies. Yes, that would do it, wouldn't it? Yeah, just do that. Do a little roundup at the beginning. There you go. If you're listening, Marvel, uh, sorted. Yeah, the advice is free unless you want to send us things. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but uh, that's the new release. But there are two movies that you have seen that are currently uh, doing the rounds as well. If you don't fancy Doctor Strange, but you do fancy going to the cinema, two very different movies as well. Yes, and interestingly, they kind of flipped my expectations. So the first one was Operation Mincemeat which is the, the war drama film directed by John Madden, who's quite well known for <coughs> directing Shakespeare in Love years ago. And it's based on Ben McIntyre's book. And, that, and he's a great writer about World War II stuff that's real and actually occurred. And it was about the British operation during the Second World War to sow confusion with the Germans um, by fooling them into thinking that they were going to land in Greece instead of Sicily at one point and they did this by getting um, a, a corpse of a dead homeless man and they dressed him up as a Royal Marine officer and made it look as if he'd been um, cr- well crashed in a plane at sea or had come off a boat at sea and he was rescued on a Spanish beach technically a neutral country but obviously sympathetic to the Nazis because of Franco and on the body is is uh, in, in a briefcase um, that's handcuffed to the body is secret papers implying, or it's stating outright actually, that the the Allies are going to attack in a location that they're not going to attack. And this is to spare thousands of lives. And astonishingly, that ruse worked. Mm. So it's a great story. How much of the story is about... Because I've, I've had it described to me as, oh, it's the thing about Ian Fleming and how he created James Bond. And I'm thinking, the trailer right. I saw implied <clears throat> that that was yeah. something of the movie, so, but not the movie. I did, yeah, you saw, I did some research on Ian Fleming on this because of, I included him very briefly as a character in one of my books called Ungentlemanly Warfare. And he did work for Naval Intelligence. He was the right-hand man to Admiral Godfrey, Vice Admiral Godfrey, who was the head of Naval Intelligence. Um, I don't know how effectively involved in Operation Mincemeat specifically he was that part is even downplayed in the movie so he may or may not have been involved in it what it does focus on are two guys that were involved in it and two women as well and they fictionalised a romance or at least what my understanding is it isn't real so Colin Firth's character who is sort of unhappily married and Kelly MacDonald's character who is widowed um, there is a lot of uh, Brief Encounter style stuff going on with them. I don't knock that particularly, but I think they overemphasized it in the movie. Okay. So there was an awful lot of that. <clears throat> Whereas the actual, I guess because of my bias towards this kind of non-fiction, true to life, Second World War military history stuff, um, I found that more fascinating than the contrived and apparently not realistic uh, portrayal of two people kind of falling in love darling mm. you know uh, so it weakened it a little bit for me but it was still a good movie okay. very well acted very good cast all right but to, to answer my question then so the the the, the actual thing about ian fleming he, he's in it but this isn't about him no and this is <clears throat> no he's very much a subsidiary character in it and i right. think that's that's probably true like, i think they shoe-owned him in yeah i mean i mean someone could write in and correct me but i don't think he was directly involved i read in a biography so of him and i think it mentioned this 
But right. but I don't think it said that he was Operation. I don't think it yeah, said that he, he he was involved with it. He was involved in planning of various operations. And one thing that I did find with him was when I did research for the, my book, and the reason I shoehorned him in there was that he uh, a character I wrote about who was real. He effectively based Q on, as in Q for the Bond films. Mm. And that was a guy called Elder Wills. And Elder Wills used to create things for the SOE that would cause havoc and destroy things. So he would make... Yes, so he'd been this special operations... Operations executive, yeah. So the forerunner... Well, they, they were disbanded, but they were the people who went behind enemy lines and created havoc in the Second World War. And so he would make explosives that looked like... Well, he would make exploding rats. Mm. So you get a real rat, remove its innards, uh, cure the skin, put explosives in it, sew it up, and you could throw it into a boiler and destroy a factory. You'd have to run, but it, but it would work. All right, but if you're going to do that, why don't you just throw a grenade in there? Because, well, if you wanted to use a little timer, like a pencil timer. Oh, I see. So, right. That's the other way. You would leave it in a corner and you put a little pencil timer in it, get it to go off in a quarter of an hour or whatever. Meanwhile, a German guard comes along and goes, uh, a rat, and doesn't pick it up. Right. Doesn't remove it. So that was the reason. That makes sense. But they had explosive dung and stuff like that that, mm-hmm. would be, that, that vehicles would drive over so okay. yeah anyway he based Q on that guy Elder Wills so. right okay so Operation Mincemeat uh, one yeah. that you would you would recommend I would it was good slightly cautionary and that the love story distracted a bit from the, the, the main meat okay. of the story but it's still good oh. very well acted as well now tell us about the other movie you've seen yes The Lost City now normally I don't go to see many comedies um, but, but both this, of these play to your strengths that one's about World War 2 which you have written about this one's about a novelist which you are yes my life is just like hers um, she has these amazingly high, highly uh, well attended and very expensive book launch to us yeah and uh, spends her time on her own sit, sitting in the bath drinking Chardonnay so you, every author really has uh, that life obviously yeah now uh, the, the flip side the, sorry the, the flip side of her life the bad side of it is she's lost her husband Five years earlier, she writes romance novelists. Sorry, romance novels. She's a romance novelist. They're very successful. She is unfulfilled by this and very depressed. And Channing Tatum plays her cover model, um, who is uh, basically this long-haired, muscular guy who's on all of her covers, and she can't stand the sight of him because he's not the brightest. And whenever they do an event together, as she puts it, his shirt always ends up coming off. Um, that's a lot like your book events though exactly my shirt comes off in every book event yeah. you know on demand by all the females that throng yeah. to my signings if only but anyway that's the setup um what happens is she's kidnapped by um a, a billionaire uh played by daniel radcliffe harry, harry potter himself kidnaps sandra bullock because he realizes that she writes these um uh, kind of shallow romances you know mills and boone type things about women being swept away by channing tatum type characters um, but she has got the skills and uh, the knowledge because she did study all this stuff with her husband and go on archaeological digs and she can translate things. He's trying to find the lost city and a necklace made of diamonds or a head, uh, headrest, I think it's a head, headgear named, uh, uh, you know, made of diamonds worth billions or whatever. And they have to find a lost ancient city and exactly where this is. Now, it's a bit like kind of romancing the stone in that way. That was what I was going to ask you because <coughs> so it, remember that when yeah. I saw the trailer for this, it felt a lot like romance, romancing the stone. Romancing the stone was good. This is just hilarious. I find it absolutely. I was, the three of us went to see it as a family. We were laughing our heads off all the way through it. Sandra Bullock is brilliant in this, sending herself up. Channing Tatum sells him, sends himself up as well as one of those kind of male models that only cares about moisturizer and tanning and you know flying first class and there is a superb cameo from brad pitt 
who attempts to rescue her. Like Channing Tatum wants to rescue her, has no skill. Brad Pitt plays one of those ex-Special Forces guys who leaps into the camp and beats everybody up and rescues her, immediately making Channing Tatum feel quite inadequate because he's not that kind of guy. Um, to tell you anything more would, would give the plot away, but just if you want to laugh, go and see this. It's really good fun. Okay, that's, uh, that's The Lost City. Uh, that is another film that is currently on general release. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Let's look at new releases on the streaming services. We're going to start with Prime Video and out on the 6th of May we have The Contractor. Yes, this one's been uh, a long time in incubating because it was actually made in 2019 and not released until 2000, well this year. 2022. It's an American action thriller film. It stars Chris Pine. Who Again? I always, I always think of as, as Captain Kirk, but yes, he's done a couple of movies very recently. Um, he seems to be having a moment. And um, Eddie Marson's in it as well, and Kiefer Sutherland, amongst others. Uh, and it got mixed reviews from critics. A bit of a bomb when it came out in the cinema very briefly. Uh, but now it's been repackaged and, you know, straight out on streaming. So it, Chris Pine's character is discharged from the army. He messes up. He's got to leave the army. He's he's uh, desperate need of money and a new job. But he's a special forces sergeant, so he lands a contract with a private underground military force. And Kel Surprise, his very first assignment goes wrong. And he finds himself hunted and on the run. Caught in a dangerous conspiracy and fighting to stay alive. And also get home and uncover the truth. So, yeah, that's... I mean, it's a premise that I guess has been... Even as I was saying it again, it sounded very familiar. It's a similar sort of, you know, there's a job, it could be easy, it's big money, or what could possibly go wrong? Recommended by a friend, you know, off you go. And then you realise, dun, 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 kill surprise, that it is a bit of a um, a betrayal or, you know, someone's out to get you and you've got to overcome the odds and get mm. home. So, but if you like that kind of thing, hey, you know, it might be a good watch. Um, we shall see. But I, it, and I didn't, it. I didn't wish to sound dismissive when I said again for Chris Pine because I actually think he's really good. Yeah, you know, he's that, good. Yeah, that, yeah. You know that he he has grown so much further beyond the the the, the Star Trek movies, yeah. which he is he is uh, slated to star in the next one. Apparently, there is one that that is currently in pre. Yeah. Well, for a long time they weren't because oh. it didn't make enough money, and it was no, all the third one didn't do so well. No, but but, yeah. but they have now. Um, greenlit the fourth one and ah. it's in pre-production and it's out next year and Fine. he and he has signed on because part of the thing was he was out of contract and they announced the fourth one about six years ago with him in it right and so suddenly that meant he could just add zeros to his uh, paycheck because they'd already <laughs> announced he was in it and he wasn't in a contract um which was a bit silly but but they've come to an agreement but but he's also he there's another film that's doing the rounds on on streaming at the moment called all the old knives and he's yes. in that with in it as well he's brilliant yeah, yeah. and um and also there's there's a film that is about to come out in the next few weeks and it's uh called don't worry darling and it's 
it's getting a lot of prominence yes. because it's got Harry Styles in it. And apparently he's that. really good in it. I saw the trailer of that recently. It looks really intriguing. Yeah, but yeah. Chris Pine's in that too. Yeah. Uh, and it's also it's starring and directed by Olivia Wilde, which is yes. what makes that one quite interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, and it maybe looks like Chris Pine is busier than he actually is because some of these things are actually ones that, like you said, have been held over because yeah, they because were of made. COVID and various other reasons. They, you know, they're now looking for slots to land yeah. into. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, okay. So that's that's the first of the uh, new releases on streaming service. That's uh, the contractor that's out on Prime Video from the sixth of May. Uh, also out on the 6th of May uh, over on Netflix, their original movie that we're telling you about right now is The Takedown. Yes. Now, this turns out to be a sequel. I didn't realise that when I first looked into it. But um, it's a French movie, but it's uh, very, ah, oui. very un-French. Because normally mm. French movies, um, you know, you, you expect a, a, a semblance of plot and a, quite a bit of navel gazing and, um, you know, covering heavy issues. This is a bit more like a Beverly Hills Cop type um, arrangement where a couple of mismatched cops <clears throat> with different styles, backgrounds and careers are reunited because I'll mention in a minute the first movie, but it's a sequel. They have a new investigation that takes them across France, <clears throat> investigating what should have been a simple drug deal. And it turns out to be a high scale criminal case with lots of danger, but also comedy. So hence my references to things like Beverly Hills Cop, possibly even Lethal Weapon, that kind of thing. Um, it's a sequel to a 2012 movie called the On the Other Side of the Tracks, and it stars Omar Sy and Laurent Lafitte. I'm sure I've pronounced that correctly. I spot on. I said I with said. no confidence whatsoever. Yeah. Um, they're reprising their roles from the earlier film. If you check out the trailer, you'll see what I mean. There's lots of kind of banter between them. Um, they're, as I said, they're the mismatched cops. So think Lethal Weapon. Uh, and yeah, uh, it looks fun actually. Um, quite a few crashes lots of shooting pyrotechnics explosions all that stuff and a bit of banter between them uh yeah a bit of a saturday night movie okay term it. that's uh, that's the takedown that's out uh, on netflix from the 6th of may the film guide with howard linsky part of the st Albans podcast with danny smith whenever acclaimed highly acclaimed local author howard Howard linsky is with us uh whenever howard is here we always have a feature around about this time in in the film guide called too good to be forgotten it's kind of it is what it is it 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 does what it says so what is the film that you have deemed too good to be forgotten galaxy quest do you know this one? Oh, yeah. It's a smile of recognition there. I, always, I never ask you in advance if you've seen them because I'm always curious to know I'm how obscure or unobscure uh, the movies I'm are. I'm surprised this one qualifies because I wouldn't have said this was in any way obscure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. maybe it's not obscure to me. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I don't know. I always have to have a bit of a guess on this. And uh, I look upon this one, if you know it, you know it and you love it. If I mention it to people who aren't film fans, they tend to be like, no, don't know that one. So I just thought I'd put it out there. And I think also because I'd I'd talked about a comedy earlier when we were talking about the new releases, The Lost City. There aren't many comedies I really like, but this one I think is hilarious. And also the free-to-air TV films tended to border on, you know, fairly kind of serious themes like war and revenge and all that. So I thought we needed a bit of lightness for Too Good to Be Forgotten. This one dates back to 1999. It's billed as a sci-fi comedy film. What it basically is is a parody of Star Trek. Um, but it's... It's, it, it even inverts that because it's a parody of the Star Trek cast. So you've got Tim Allen playing the kind of Captain Kirk role. He's backed up brilliantly by Sigourney Weaver and Alan Rickman, as well as Sam Rockwell. Um, and they make an appearance at one of those Comic-Con type things, you know, they have in yeah, America yeah, yeah. all the time. So they're there. 
None of them want to be there apart from Tim Allen, who seems to love playing the part. Alan Rickman's brilliant. He plays a Shakespearean actor who's always banging on about the fact that he had three ovations having played Richard III years ago. Ironically, he used to be in the RSC as well, so it's even funnier looking at... Uh, but but also that. the way that it, it knows its subject, because yeah. because that's very much parodying uh, Leonard Nimoy, who for many years was quite ashamed of Spock and yes. Star Trek, yes, exactly. and was always Good. trying to be known. In fact, he wrote an autobiography called... I am not I'm, Spock, yes, yeah. exactly. So that's the kind of Alan Rickman character, you bang on with that. Yeah. And he, he's constantly being asked to say the catchphrase that he uses, and he's like, oh, God... And he has to, you know, he mutters it because he doesn't really want to be part of it. Now, what happens then is a bunch of aliens from a different um, uh, galaxy, they've somehow tuned into Galaxy Quest, the original, like watching Star Trek. Now, imagine watching Star Trek and thinking it is a documentary. And rather like the Magnificent Seven, you're thinking, well, where are the undefended um, people who are um, uh, under threat from an enemy what we need is a kind of magnificent seven we need but we need galaxy quest we need the captain and we need him to save us with all of his crew i've just realized the thing that the parallel between this and the three amigos do you know i've never seen three amigos another one you mean just this second occurred to me so because with that they are stars of a of a tv western thing and then a a, a little village in mexico hire them to chase off bandits that are Um, and then they're like actors they're not really and yet they and and they do all the guns like spinning around stuff and all that gun trick they they can't hit a cow's backside with a banjo there's another one and i'm I'm gonna it'll come back to me eventually but there's a, a movie where a kid plays he's really good at video games and he gets recruited. This is an 80s film. We're going to come back to The that. Last Starfighter. That's the one. And aliens recruit him because he's really good at video games. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's building on that theme. But really. with that one, wasn't it that they, they planted a particular video game and, be for, and, and because that was how their ships flew? Oh. And and if and whoever was going to get the highest score on that was going to be the person who could fly their that Starfighter. Is, that is a fabulous premise. So yeah. It really is. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that on that sort of theme then, so... Um, the cast all have differing views on this because they get whisked into, uh, you know, far out of space. Initially, some reluctant, some less reluctant, and obviously they're all they're all a little bit like probably a bit like William Shatner. They they kind of sort of hate Tim Allen's character. You know, they're not very happy with him, and they all think it's always about him. Well, well, that's um, that's the other beauty of th- this and how they know their subject because yeah. it is quite well reported that the majority of the cast of the original series of Star yes. Trek all hated <clears throat> William Shatner yeah, for exactly. that very reason. And what's fascinating about this movie, is it, I mean, it's really funny. It was a, a good critical hit, but it didn't do very well at the box office, which is why I also put it into Good to Be Forgotten because I guess... There's a lot of people who've never seen it. Mm. Um, but the uh, the people who love it include Trekkie, Star Trek fans. Oh, yes. It. Yeah. And uh, hilariously, it was voted the seventh best Star Trek film <laughs> out of about 13, I think. And also, so, um, <clears throat> it was in some ways the inspiration behind the TV series The Orville, which which is another kind of homage to Star Trek, ah, but it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. It's it, Seth yeah. MacFarlane doing his sort of version of Star Trek. Right. Uh, where he's the... the Captain Kirk esque yes. character. Isn't his ex wife involved in the thing? I've seen some clips of that. Or, uh, yeah, I've never, former, watched, oh, never right, actually right. watched it, but uh, but it's it's yeah. it, it is, looks funny. It is a loving send up of that, and probably must be influenced by Galaxy Quest. Um, my, my comment earlier about Leonard Nimoy, I feel like it's only fair to say, not least because the, the you know he's no longer with us, but he he did go full reversal on his whole yes. hatred and of isn't, Spock. Isn't it because interesting? His, his second autobiography was called "I Am Spock." I like it. The, the U turn. But isn't it interesting how that can happen? Like an actor will start out in their career and they'll be like, 
desperate for a role and then they get the role and then they're typecast and then they hate the role and then eventually they come round to thinking actually that did matter that yeah. people liked it and maybe I've been a bit of a bit of a snob about this. it yeah, yeah you yeah. know and uh, I think perhaps he went because people must have constantly come up to him going I love it and I grew up with it and yeah. you know he got to do guest roles in films and TV over it because of mm. people's love for but the, I did the I did read that it it also it almost killed him because he his career was such that he couldn't get he could only get bit parts in the 70s and he did the odd guest starring thing he could never escape the shadow of it and he yeah. was worried he was typecast and couldn't really get do what he wanted to do and apparently his alcoholism grew and grew out of oh, that right. out of a frustration that his career that wasn't is understandable isn't it and and yeah and so it was it was holding he felt it held him back I but then think I think by the eighties he had a he, he sober he got sober he he suddenly realised that in fact it's it's given him a platform that he never had before. Ah, yes. He went on yeah. to be a director, which is what it, apparently yep. one of the things and he, he directed one of the well, at least one of the Star Trek films. I think he, he did he did at least two of them. I Can think. you imagine William Shatner's reaction when he was told that you know there's a movie and uh, Leonard's directing it? Well, apparently <laughs> it was he wasn't happy no, and, and he insisted that he'd be allowed to direct one as well, which he did, which was the worst one they ever made. Oh, Kel surprise. Yeah, um, but but. But he went on to direct the... I think he directed the two biggest films of the year in the 80s. He directed the biggest film of 1986, which was Star Trek Four, which was a massive hit for them. And he directed Three Men and a Baby, which I think was the biggest oh, hit I in 1987. Oh, I about that, yeah. Yeah, so he, he, yeah. he managed to achieve what he wanted, by, in effect, by embracing what, what he was known for. The, uh, that movie I didn't see because it wasn't really my thing. I was about 18, 19 at the time when it came out. But I do remember it being on the cinema because I staggered out of a pub in Huddersfield with my good friend Adam, who was still, still best mates. And uh, he looked up at the cinema and he saw the sign. And, and we weren't sober. And he said, three men and a baby pig. And I went, no, mate, three men and a baby, PG. <laughs> true story oh man true story you know but I mean yeah there you go oh, well, hello. the effects of beer on teenagers yeah, yeah, you yeah, a baby yeah. pig you thought it was yeah. a sequel I think yeah. there you go it was, anyway. uh, that was the one they never made no they should have done that would have been a good movie yeah so anyway <laughs> Howard's film that is Too Good To Be Forgotten is the sci-fi classic comedy extraordinaire uh, Galaxy Quest Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for The St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's one-to-one with Elspeth, part of the St Albans Podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. We've reached that point in the show where we get highly acclaimed local author and a person who's had a film made of a title of a film, of a book that he wrote once, Howard Linsky. I'll, I'll work that into a better sentence one day. No, that's good. I but, like that. That's good marketing. Thank if you. If we could just work on the very highly acclaimed. Yeah. Just highly acclaimed. That'd be great. Okay. Yeah. The very highly acclaimed <laughs> Howard Linsky. Uh, his books are out now. Look in a bargain bin. You'll find them. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you might not. Well, in fact, most kinds <laughs> of bins. They're, 
these books look are at, not look in people's bins you yeah, might find them yeah, yeah. Um, anyway uh, Howard's here now and these are the films that he thinks are the ones worth watching this week on free to air TV and we'll start with Friday the 6th of May yes. uh, 9pm on 5 star Saving Private Ryan now you don't really like World War 2 films not at you? all no but I'll make the exception for this one no I do like a good war movie as you know which is one of the reasons why I chose Galaxy Quest for too good for, to be forgotten, uh, I think. Otherwise, it would have been yet another war film, probably. But this uh, is never going to be forgotten because it's a big, epic war film. It was Steven Spielberg. Um, he did an incredible job of recreating uh, a section of the D-Day landings during the invasion of Normandy in World War II. Um, it's very graphic portrayals of war. Um, and But within this big story about World War II and D-Day, there is a smaller story, and it was based on uh, a true story, actually, of, of a number of siblings who were killed at the same time in the same war, and how tragic that would be for a family to receive multiple telegrams saying that their sons had been killed. So they fictionalised that and turned it into a story where Matt Damon's character, James Francis Ryan, who's a private in uh, the American army, is the last surviving brother of four, and the other three have all been killed in action. So uh, you know, because this is such an unpalatable idea that a woman could receive a fourth telegram um, uh, and, a f- and lose a fourth uh, son, uh, Tom Hanks is tasked with the job, playing Captain John H. Miller, of taking his squad of soldiers uh, off on a separate mission in order to bring Private Ryan home, so saving Private Ryan. Uh, it's an incredible movie. The, the backup cast alone, they've got Tom Sizemore, you've got Edward Burns, You've got Giovanni Ribisi, Vin Diesel, um, and uh, Adam Goldberg and Jeremy Davis also listed in the cast. Uh, you know, it it's one of those where you blink and you go, oh, there's another cameo. Oh, there's another one from someone else. Um, and it's just really riveting, and it follows, you know, a gritty portrayal of what happens to men in war, really, in that sort of circumstances, people dying left, right, and centre. Spielberg has this this way of making movies where he manages to put magic in all of them in some way, shape or form. Yes, that's true. There is think, some, yeah. And it's, it's something that's almost unquantifiable because I'm not talking about magic in like Hocus Pocus and all that, but there's just some kind of cinematic magic. There's a yes, sparkle there is. in his movies and there's an element of hope and, and yeah, and the storytelling and, and, and this has that. I mean, this also has some very brutal scenes, particularly in the first 20 minutes or so. Yeah. The horrors of war are, are up there for all to see, but there is something magical about the quest that they are on to yeah. save that you know, and suddenly it's something human that we can look at, and I just yeah. so e- even amongst the chaos of war, it actually matters what happens to not yeah. only Matt Damon's character but also Tom Hanks's character and the other guys in his unit. You care about mm. those individuals when there's a much bigger story going on around. Well, them. it suddenly takes a six-year worldwide conflict and it boils it down to the impact on one person, yeah, on one, true, yeah. you know, and 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 the yeah. way that 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 Spielberg does that, uh, you know, and and. Collaborating once again with Tom Hanks, yeah, they, yeah. they've done many a film together now, and and they they you just know if they're both involved in something, it's going to be good. Yes, and they both um, I think were quite touched by what they saw and, and thought that the preserving the Second World War was a, a very important thing. So they went on to make Band of Brothers together, mm. obviously with different directors for different episodes, but they put up the money and they got involved, and Band of Brothers came as a result of that, which is an incredible piece of television. And and I think I'm right in saying, and I'm going to try and look this up now, uh, but I think I'm right in saying that in Band of Brothers, they both directed part of it. Ah. I, I think certainly Spielberg, I'd be surprised if he didn't, given yes, how yeah, involved he was I, with it. Um, but uh, but yes, uh, there was there was also Band of Brothers, which, which which was set in the same 
universe? It was in the build-up to... So it was Easy Company in the build-up to um, DD initially and then beyond it. And it follows um, one... Well, so it, uh, one unit, effectively, Easy Company uh, in the Airborne Division. So the American Airborne Division and they parachuted in. And amid the chaos of D-Day, and of course they were all separated, they were blown off course, they then had to re- regroup and capture some guns that were going to wreak havoc on the beach, and they managed to achieve that. And that, even that one incident is still um, depicted and talked about and reenacted at West Point as okay. a perfect piece of military history. I was slightly wrong. Only one of them directed an episode. Uh, but, Hank, but, Hanks, I would imagine. Yeah, not, the one, not yeah. the one you think. Yeah, I Tom when, Hanks when you said it, I was thinking, I think Hanks might have done it, but I wasn't sure. Well, because other TV yeah. programmes that Spielberg's been involved with, he has sometimes directed, like, he yeah. did a series of <clears throat> amazing stories, and he directed, yes. I think, at least one of those. Um, but he was also involved with ER, and he, I don't think he did his, direct um, any of that. I mean, the amount of stuff that he's produced, and what's fascinating about the guy is that it's multiple genre of stuff. I mean, you know, you, you look at his filmography, and there's not really a, a line you can trace going through it, except the fact that whatever he does, it's quality and it's great storytelling. But, you know, very commercial stuff, and then Saving Private Ryan was obviously a very commercial, mm. successful movie, but it was not a, a feel-good, happy sort of tale and yet, wow, what did he make out of it? It was incredible. Yeah, uh, but also, uh, you know, incredibly critically acclaimed. You yes, know, it was, yeah. The, 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 movie, the movie did did ever so well um, in that sense as well. So, yeah, a great movie, an absolute classic there. That's Saving Private Ryan, 9pm on Five Star. Let's move to Saturday the 7th of May, ITV4, 10.20pm. Another classic, The yes. Good, The Bad and The Ugly. And another epic, but mm. this is an epic spaghetti western. So, <clears throat> directed by the incredible Sergio Leone. Uh, Clint Eastwood is uh, the good. You've got Lee Van Cleef as the bad and the fabulous Eli Wallach as uh, Tuco, the ugly, uh, as in that's he's the guy with the name. Clint Eastwood is often depicted as a man with no name, but he's usually referred to as Blondie in this one. And um, it's the third and final installment of the Dollars trilogy. So you had a fistful of dollars and a few dollars more, and they did well. So they really threw the budget at this one. Um, And it's an epic, sprawling, very long movie but that's not necessarily a bad thing, in which Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach are, <clears throat> well, they're on the same side superficially, but um, they fall out because Clint Eastwood um, sets him up. Eli Wallach is constantly being captured and about to be hung. And as he's being hanged, Clint Eastwood fires his rifle and shoots the rope, and the rope breaks, and Eli Wallach races away, and each time his value goes up because he's escaped. And they, they keep getting the reward money by handing him in and uh, repeating the exercise, and eventually they um, they they fall out, and Lee Van Cleef is the plays Angel Eyes, who is a kind of shadowy figure in the background who's trying to um, achieve the same goal as them, and that is to find some uh, gold that was stolen and placed in a grave in a cemetery, and it gets to the point where each of them has bits of information, so one will know the cemetery, one will know the grave name, and all three of them will eventually converge for this fabulous scene at the end where three of them are facing off ready to draw on one another so that one of them will end up with the money and uh, oh it's great all the way through so, really. so this this trilogy <clears throat> of movies where, where i think it it's a tad confusing perhaps to a more modern audience that that have different expectations from yes. maybe what was <clears throat> around expectations at the time is that lee van cleef yes. two of them <laughs> yeah. starring in two of them yeah two very different roles though he's not yes, playing the same right. character he, he, he because and, one he's a good guy working with clint eastwood and the other yeah. one he's the villain and initially, I think, Leone, from what I understand, Leone wanted different people 
in the rules. And at one point, Charles Bronson was going to be in it, but um, he was a bit busy doing something you may never have heard of called The Dirty Dozen. <laughs> <laughs> so he couldn't do this one. Um, and yeah, I think all of the casting yeah. was a bit up in the air. They had to persuade Eastwood to do it. He wasn't all that keen, apparently. No. And and apparently the the, the film that he made next, or, or, or a film that came after a Once Upon a Time in the West, was originally he wanted... The, this cast again yeah uh, and and when he couldn't get them uh, Bronson got Bronson, cast in the yes. Clint Eastwood role oh, there you go but yeah. uh, but no the other thing with this movie so so, so putting putting aside the fact that that um, one of the characters looks an awful lot like a character from the previous movie who was yeah. a good guy um, <laughs> this is also believed to be set before the other two because uh-huh. there are certain bits in the movie where you see Clint Eastwood's character becoming the man with no name oh, right. where he starts out in the movie not having a poncho and partway through ah, the movie, yes, yes. he and finds he a poncho. And then in, right, yeah. in subsequent ones, he's wearing the same kind of poncho. And other such things as well. You see him developing, te- developing their character. And so by the end of the movie, he is the fully formed man with no name. You realise what they would call it now? It'd be an origin story. Well, yeah, yeah, it would that, be, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's the Leone Cinematic Universe yeah. or whatever. They'd be very pretentious <laughs> about it all. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so and also, we've got to mention the theme tune. Wow. And the music. Oh, Morricone. Oh, yeah. Wow. One of the best theme tunes ever. Mm. Uh, and so unusual I mean well you imagine sitting down to write that yeah we'll have some whips cracking and some yeah. whistling going on and some operatic singing and yeah uh, wow <laughs> so yeah. imaginative yeah I mean a, a, a classic western and there are quite a few of those but this one this one probably stands head and shoulders above most yeah I think this one and Unforgiven I think are the two westerns I like the most to watch they're really uh, epic epic tales different difference in tone from them, but they're both incredible. Okay, this is the good, the bad, and the ugly. ITV four ten twenty p.m. on Saturday the seventh of May. Let's move to Sunday the eighth of May, uh, and oh, a war film. Yeah, sorry um, about that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Paramount Channel three ten p.m. A Bridge Too Far. I can't tell you how I was desperately trying to find something good for Sunday the eighth of May that wasn't a war film, but unfortunately they let me down. The various broadcasters they didn't uh, come up with anything good, so I went, "Damn it, you know what? It is really good. Okay. I'll include it." So, but it's Richard Attenborough, and it's yes. an all-star cast, isn't it? Oh, the cast is incredible. I mean, it, 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 rather like *The Longest Day*, which is also based on books by. They're both based on books by Cornelius Ryan. Uh, the, the respective directors managed to assemble incredible casts for those. It's a it's a who's who of Hollywood. So in this one, you've got Dirk Bogard, James Caan, Michael Caine, Sean Connery. Edward Fox, Elliot Gould, Gene Hackman, Anthony Hopkins, Hardy Kruger, Laurence Olivier, Ryan O'Neill, Robert Redford, Maximilian Schell, and Liv Ullman. I don't think she plays a paratrooper from memory. <laughs> She's right at the end. Um, but, but it shows the incredible um, story of Arnhem, which was the bridge too far during Operation Market Garden, where the Brits went in. There were 10,000 paratroopers. I think only 2,000 came back. So an awful lot were killed and captured. And, uh, and it went wrong, but it was it went wrong in a heroic kind of way, uh, if there is such a thing as a heroic loss. Now the, but it's an epic tale. The only thing I know, uh, the only bit of trivia that I know about this movie, is that this was almost the movie that Roger Moore and Sean Connery were going to appear in together. And Roger Moore was going to play the character that Edward Fox ended up playing. Yes. But I yeah. believe that the real-life person he was depicting, who was still alive, vetoed it. Yes, I remember you telling me that one. And, and he didn't want Roger Moore. That, uh, he, he, he thought that Roger Moore was too much of a dandy, too too yeah, too comedic yeah. and soft, and he wanted somebody else. And and Edward Fox was was settled. He, he upon. was probably worried that Roger Moore might stab somebody with a bayonet. Go, ha ha! He got the point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, diminishing his military career in the process. That's you know? it, you know, and, and spilling his drink and, and having a beautiful yeah. woman on his uh, arm. Uh, can you imagine? Yes. Yeah. Um, which which perhaps is unfair. Where's the general? He's up in the hayloft yeah. with the local, you yeah. know, with Liv Ullman or whatever. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can imagine. Because it was only a couple yeah. of years later where Roger Moore was in a movie with an all-star cast that was set in World War II, The Sea Wolves. Oh, and yes. also, I think, yeah. around about this time, The Wild Geese. So yes, he proved he could yeah. do a bit more than the, yeah. the eyebrow-raising quips, you know, and yes. all that. But Wild Geese, I love. It's a good movie. Good. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, A Bridge Too Far, Paramount, 3.10pm, Sunday the 8th of May. We yeah. move to Monday the 9th of May, 12.30am. So technically into the wee small hours of Tuesday morning, we have another really interesting film here. And, yes. And, and it's, um, it's slightly out of... Type for you, but yes, it is a bit. It's sci-fi, but it's set in a war. Bit military, but but mostly it is in a war though. So it's 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 starship troopers. It's an overblown, um, almost comedic, satirical type take on something. Um, And initially, I think reviewers were just confused completely by this. They thought it was a bit almost fascist, but it's not really. It's kind of like it's it's sort of taken the mick out of a futuristic, almost American military complex type Mm. world where you get a bunch of kids who are recruited on the basis that they'll get citizenship if they join the army and fight an, an invading um, alien army mm. who are basically arachnids. Mm. Um, in fact, I think they actually call them that. Yeah. Um, but it launched Denise Richards as well. Do you remember her? She yeah, was oh, yeah. in uh, the, the Bond movie yeah. uh, a year or two later, amongst yeah. others. Uh, and it also stars Casper Van Dien as Johnny Rico. Uh, Jake Boosie's in it, who was uh, Gary Boosie's son. Yeah. Um, and uh, Clancy Brown, who gets in a lot of um, yeah, stuff. he was the he was the jailer in um, Shawshank Redemption from the top of my head. Oh, he's done loads and loads of things, yeah, Clancy has, Brown. Yeah. Um, but I, you see, I thought when I saw this movie because I think I felt like it was supposed to be a satire, and it was yeah. they were supposed to be somewhat Third Reich esque. I thought that yes, was, yes. I mean, I don't. So I don't think it was extolling the virtues of that. No, but I think because it was Paul Verhoeven. They probably put far too much analysis in what he was trying to say, and it was yeah. really just—it's an action film with a bit of comedy, a little bit of romance, some gore, and then it takes the mick out of this idea that yes, let's all sign up and get slaughtered. You know, it was a bit of a satirical yeah. punt on that. And um, okay, you know, I, I just think it, I haven't it, seen it in a long while, but it's well worth another it look. It spawned you know? many a sequel. Which I didn't bother with those because the reviews weren't they, so good. And you know? they didn't bother with gracing the cinema screens. No, they, they didn't. You went straight to yeah, video yeah. or DVD. They were very efficient depending on the way. timing, uh, but. but, but uh, but yeah. I thought this was good and uh, worth worth checking out if you've not seen it. Yeah, I feel like um, a bit of sci-fi. Okay, know. that's uh, Starship Troopers. Uh, that is the choice. Uh, that's on twelve thirty a.m. The wee small hours of Tuesday morning on the Paramount Channel. When uh, let's move into uh, later on Tuesday, we have Double Indemnity. Yeah, or classic, good film. Classic uh, Seven forty-five p.m. on Great Movies Classic. Yes, classic American crime made, made film during noir. a war. So it's still it a was. war thing. The last it one was. was a sci-fi war. This one made during a war. Bit of a tenuous link there, but I'll, I'll grant you that. Yeah, um, it's mostly crime, I suppose, the way you would describe this, and it's got all the ingredients of a film noir. So literally, the way it looks, obviously. Um, there is a slightly um, hard-boiled character. He's not a private eye. He's uh, an insurance salesman, uh, and his boss is an insurance claims investigator, and that is key to the plot. So Fred McMurray is the salesman. He goes to a house one day and meets Barbara Stanick, who is a fabulously um, cast femme fatale in this, the kind of woman that you, you just know that Fred McMurray is going to get involved with her, and it might not end well, but we, you know, without giving away any uh, spoilers, that is usually a theme with film noir, that the femme fatale leads the guy somewhat astray. Um, they decide to kill her husband uh, and run off together because her husband's not a very pleasant person and they want to be together. Unfortunately, Edward G. Robinson is the boss I mentioned. He's the claims adjuster 
whose job is to find out if anyone is making a phony claim. And the term double indemnity applies if uh, under certain um, situations in life insurance that double the payout if the cause of the death is one of the ones listed in the insurance claim. So that immediately causes a certain amount of suspicion. But it's it's really well acted, really well filmed. Uh, the, the, the lines just um, crackle, really. It's extremely well written. Uh, film as well uh, it is based on um, uh, well it's, it was from a script that was co-directed by Billy Wilder the great director and Raymond Chandler um, who managed to say sober, sober enough long enough to write it and I think they fell out along the way quite badly the director and the writer but because um, Chandler thought he was slumming it in Hollywood you know there's a great um, uh, dramatisation of the writing of this uh, with um uh, because Raymond Chandler apparently was basically locked in an office for four months with Billy Wilder working on this. Yes. And uh, a radio adaptation was done with Patrick Stewart playing um, uh, Raymond Chandler. I'll have to check and, that out. Uh, and in fact, he, they've done two. Uh, and the other one was uh, him writing Strangers on a Train for Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. yeah. And apparently both in both instances, he had quite a fractious, Raymond Chandler yes. had quite a fractious relationship with the co-writer. Well, he's a very difficult man. I wrote a profile on uh, Raymond Chandler for a, for a website once. And the more I looked into him, the more complicated he became. And there was this classic line that I found out that I quoted, um, you know, by, by the word in there. It was basically of the ilk that he had a normal career working for an oil company, but um, his career was somewhat stymied by his excessive alcoholism, his um, the fact that he didn't turn up, and the fact that he was constantly womanising every woman in the office. Yeah. And I thought, well, yes, that would harm your career, even back then, probably even more so back then. Yeah. So he eventually had to leave. But he was like the vice president of an oil company okay. at some point. But know? no, if you ever get a chance <coughs> to find them anywhere, there, there are two Radio 4 dramas, and one is called Strangers on a Film, and it was Patrick oh, Stewart like uh, and, and uh, Clive Swift playing Alfred Hitchcock, and, oh. and, them, and how they somehow managed to knock out a classic movie yeah uh, and then a few years later it was called double jeopardy and it was uh it was again patrick stewart with with another actor um and it was him and billy wilder and the right. only way apparently they could get him to work was they effectively locked him in the office for four months wow. um so because yeah every time they unlocked the door he snuck off and, and yeah. drinking a lot yeah, yeah. And doing all those naughty things. Anyway, Double Indemnity is the classic film noir that is being selected uh, by Howard for Tuesday the 10th of May, 7.45. Great movies, classic. Let's move to Wednesday. And uh, the 11th of May, we have... uh, all the money in the world. It's actually technically on Thursday morning, but it's a Wednesday yes, film. Middle of the night job. Yeah, yeah. middle of yeah. the night. One o five a.m. on yeah. Film Four. If you're technologically minded and you have one of those devices suitable for recording films in the middle of the night, I heartily recommend this one. Uh, All the money in the world. Um, it's for a free view movie. It's quite a modern one to be stuck on in the middle of the night. Um, but uh, and it's really really good, as are most movies directed by Ridley Scott. Um, it's based on the book Painfully Rich by John Pearson, which is about the um, the heirs of John Paul Getty, and it depicts the kidnapping of um, John Paul Getty the third and the refusal of his grandfather, who was a multi-billionaire oil tycoon, J. Paul Getty, to cooperate with the kidnappers by actually paying them. Um, and he just didn't want to do it. Uh, and th- there was a suspicion initially that it might have been a fake kidnapping or a staged one or that the the victim might even be involved in it because i think he once joked that you know the best way to get some money would be to be ha, kidnapped and get some money out of my granddad so that that didn't help his plight really um but it's a, a brilliant portrayal of that world that they all operated in and what a strange and unusual character j paul getty was um now interestingly he was meant to be played 
uh, by Kevin Spacey. Well, you say meant to be, he actually filmed it, didn't he? He did, yes. <clears throat> and it never saw the light of day. Ended up on the cutting room floor because Kevin Spacey was disgraced and surveyed serious misconduct allegations of a sexual nature. Uh, he was then, uh, Ridley Scott had a decision to make then. Do we release the movie with him in it and hope that the audience don't care? Or do we cut him out of it? And they cut him out of it and they hired um, Christopher Plummer. And this was all a matter of weeks in. before the premiere yep. of the movie, wasn't it? Yes. The, the film was all but finished. And they had 22 scenes that they had to reshoot and they did them in eight days. And I think um, I've always thought Christopher Plummer was a brilliant actor. You know, a great charisma, um, you know, really the right guy to play this part, I think. Now, you would can't imagine Kevin Spacey playing the part having seen Christopher Plummer play it. Play it sorry. Um, but what a professional. He was a very old man at this point when he turned up to do the the reshoot and he did these 22 scenes in eight days uh one month prior to the release date of the movie and uh, you would not you cannot see the join it's not as if they rushed it and he's not very good he's brilliant in it and got a lot of acclaim for the part and it's a very very good film and in, in the movie got nominated for an oscar and uh i'm just trying to look up my of course, typical when you want it to happen quickly, it suddenly yes, that's when the internet like, crashes on you. Yeah, and, uh, but uh, because I'll just stall. We he, bo- he was in the Sound of Music, apparently. All right, okay. <laughs> he was in a Star Trek movie. He played the villain in Star Trek Six. He was rather good in that. Oh, Kang go. or something. Um, uh, I believe that he uh, possibly got nominated for. He his definitely got nominated. I can't remember. If he and that might be the one yeah. Oscar it got nominated for. But yeah. but my screen now is refusing to tell me. Uh, oh, here nice. we go. Yeah. Best performance by an actor in a supporting role, Christopher Plummer. At the age eighty, at age eighty-eight, he became the oldest Academy Award nominee for acting. There you go with that role as well. Yeah. Didn't win it, but he did get nominated. He also got nominated for a BAFTA for the I same role. I didn't see it live, but I really hope that when he didn't win, he didn't bother to fake the smile because he was eighty-eight. He probably saw oh, a talentless yeah. person getting that. Oh, that was so much better. But yes, worth but it, it for his sh- performance. It alone. goes to show, doesn't it? Some people will put months and months, even years, into working on a role and a thing. He, yes. he twenty-two <clears> days before the film launched, they shot all of his scenes and or whatever it was yeah, 30 days before nailed it nailed it absolutely as quickly it. as that um tw- sorry 28 scenes shot in eight days one month before the release yeah. date that and 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 it was good enough to get an oscar nomination there you go. good on him Amazing. anyway that's all the money in the world that's the choice uh, 105 a.m film four in the wee small hours of thursday morning our final movie is on film four at 6 40 p.m yes uh, on thursday the 12th of may and it is star trek beyond yes we kind of mentioned the fact that the, the star trek franchise the the, the rebooted version uh, uh, that now has had three movies and you said earlier that there's going to be a four yes because this is the third one with chris pine and co yes and it didn't do box office wise all that well which is why there's been a bit of a gap I think so there's been a bit six year gap since this is mm. 2016 apparently it's, it's <clears> been a, it's been that and it's kind of a legal issue because oh. Paramount Pictures own the right to the Star Trek movies they do not own any other rights to anything else to do with Star Trek so oh. they can only produce merchandising based on their three movies and, and, and like you know enterprises from their movies and they can only produce like figurines based on the likenesses from those movies they can't do anything else and and at the moment especially star trek's big business again oh. but uh, cbs own all of the rest of it and and so this is where they they have a they so they found when they bought the rights to make the movies they kind of didn't realise, apparently. I watched a documentary about this. And they, they just, that is funny. They because just, with the armies of lawyers on both sides, you would think they would have worked that out. Yeah, and but, so uh, so that's oh, wow. also why they're on a different timeline and it's a diff- going in a different direction now. Right. Bec- and they don't relate to the 
the, the, the various there's several TV series that are all on yeah. right now and they're all set in the original timeline it's it's a bit like we discussed Marvel you know there's so much going on with yeah. these um, so many different versions mm. of uh, Star Trek you go way back to the original with mm. Kirk and there's numerous mm. TV series and numerous yeah. movies because there's a different character playing a different actor playing Spock on television uh, at the moment um, they've you know they, they've recast it because because this Spock that they're playing is the different Spock to the Spock that Zachary Quinto's oh, playing. Makes your head spin. Little bit, yes, <laughs> little bit. Well, this was the third, I guess, in the rebooted franchise. I don't even yes, know how to yes, describe yeah. it, but uh, and JJ Abrahams, I think, was originally on board. For uh, the, he's, he produces these, I believe. Yeah, so he, he sort of rebooted the whole thing. Yeah, and I thought the first one in particular was brilliant. Um, and the other two were entertaining, so I just and there wasn't a, to be fair, there wasn't a lot on yeah. Thursday the twelfth of May. I think that's a fair. So summary. I elevated this one, thinking this is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I don't remember it being the outstanding one of the three, no. but it was still good, and it's worth it to watch. I just think the, the, the way they reinvented those characters with Chris Pine playing Kirk and mm. Zachary Quinto playing Spock, and you've you know you've got um, Simon Pegg in it. Uh, Zoe Saldana's in it as well. Yeah, Carl um, Urban, I thought, was particularly good with with his because uh, they all is they, he did, bones they didn't from yeah memory. Yes, they didn't do impersonations no. of they, but they captured the caricature. They the got essence. the essence, but yeah. they made them all a bit um, I don't know a bit more edgy. I think. Yeah. I mean, I love the way that Kirk starts out in the first one as a complete tearaway, and uh, you know the only the only affinity he has with the whole Star Trek universe is the fact that his dad was this hero but he's just yeah. a tear away um, so, so, really so apparently in the original series um, Kirk was very studious as a young man and became a tear away when he became a captain he became more ah, like Rick and it was the opposite and it, and, and it was because the, the first film uh, in, sets out that an event changed so it's so the very beginning of the movie you've got Leonard Nimoy Spock and something happens. They go back in time, yes. And that, and and because of the thing going back in time, it changed events, which suddenly sent them all on a different trajectory. That was a really clever idea. They could just reinvent the whole thing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It gave them a great license to be able to do that. Um, and and so then suddenly, Kirk's dad in the Star Trek world was still alive when he was a captain. Right. In this, he died before he was born. Yes. Yeah. He uh, he only uh, he wasn't he only captained the ship for about eight minutes or something. And, yeah. Uh, crashed it into. And it was whilst his wife was in labour with. Yes, escaping Kirk. with yeah. baby Kirk. Yeah, yeah. That was a very clever idea. But um, yeah, this one's worth checking out. I think from memory, okay. it was good. So and Idris Elba's in there, but you wouldn't know it because he's head to toe in prosthetics, ah. uh, and they even changed his voice. They modulated his voice in some way. So he played why an alien. Pay the man. You know, like, what, what? I don't mean don't pay him. What I mean is why pay. Idris Elba salaries yeah. for a man who doesn't look or sound like no, Idris Elba no. anymore. You can just get anyone who's it, quite good. You well, know? yeah, quite. Hollywood logic for you. That's, yeah. There you go. But that's Star Trek yeah. Beyond, which is uh, the final film uh, that Howard has chosen this week. 6.40pm on film for Thursday, the 12th of May. Howard, which of those movies would be your film of the week? I, ooh, tough call, but I'm going to go for the good, the bad and the ugly. <sighs> If you haven't seen it, check it out. And if you have, watch it again. Okay. Thank you, Howard. Uh, the very welcome. list of films that Howard has recommended can all be found now in the description of this podcast episode. Uh, and you can also uh, find them at com. Next week, Chris Aikman will be back in the Film Guide chair. Howard will be back probably around about the same time next month. He's got books out, don't you know? Go and buy them. Yeah, Go and read them. Some of them are really good. Yeah, all of them. All of them, Danny. <laughs> Stop frowning. Honestly. 